For those of you who uh, might be new to our church or a guest with us today or watching online, maybe for your first time, my name is David Johnson. And uh, my wife and I, Susan, have been members here for going on 15 years. So we've been here for a little while, even though uh, we travel a lot. And so we're not uh, here as often as we would like, but it certainly feels like home when we are. Uh, I'm the, one of the founders and the CEO of a ministry called Dulas Partners. We do international church planting in over 190 nations around the world. And I just say that to you uh, because of what God's you know, doing. Uh, in the world, and also because I want to open with a story um, of a trip that I was on, and we had a team on to Cambodia, and so we were in Cambodia. That was about 11 years ago. It's hard to believe. Man, time goes by in a hurry, and we were in Cambodia, and we were meeting with our leaders. We were doing training of church planters. We were participating in services. We were hearing testimonies, and God was, is doing such a great work in that country. And so we decided we wanted to go into the country of Vietnam and do the same thing, meet with some of our church planters, some of our leaders, find out what God's doing in that part of the world. And we could not get, no matter how hard we tried, we couldn't get visas into Vietnam. So we were able to get 10 of our church planters to cross over the border from Vietnam into Cambodia. And we met in a little small town on the border called Mamat. We found ourselves in a little small hotel room with these 10 church planters and it was an amazing time of fellowship with them. We asked them, how did you come to know the Lord? We asked them about their call into ministry. We asked them about how is the gospel going forward? How's church planting happening? And one of the things we found out organically as a part of that meeting of those 10 church planters, nine of them had, beat, had been beaten, arrested, and imprisoned. One of those men was arrested three times and imprisoned for a total of 13 years. And yet when they walked into the room church, it was like the Shekinah glory of God was there. It was Powerful. The Spirit of God was there, was on them. There was joy. There was joy because of their obedience to the Lord. There was joy because of the gospel going forth. There was a joy because they had submitted their lives to the will and the Word of God. Hence, the title of the message today is Submission. Would you guys agree with me that we're not very good at submitting? I believe part of the reason for that is that we do not have a full understanding of God, who He is, and what His plan is. A hundred days ago or so, my wife and I were talking about marriage. We were talking about the home. We were talking about the difficulties that we see in marriages and how marriages and homes and things fall apart. And she said something to me that I never heard it put this way before. She said, you know, David, she said, God's plan for marriage in the home is hierarchical. 
And I began to stop and think about that. I said, you know, you're exactly right because the husband has a role to play, the wife has a role to play, the parents have a role to play, the children have a role to play, and, and the home is a hierarchical unit, and it's a hierarchical unit because that's the way God designed it. So all of a sudden, and I read the scripture every morning, listen to worship every morning, and man, it was just so crazy this morning. I'm listening to the throne room song this morning. And I, that's one of my favorite songs, and we did it several weeks ago, and I go like, I come in this morning, and they're rehearsing that song, which I had just listened to it, not once, not twice, but three times this morning. Who says the Spirit of God's not alive and well and working, right? So it was just so cool. So I'm, so I'm having this conversation with Susan, and I've come to this place where as I start reading Scripture, I'm beginning to see our God who's hierarchical and his plan is hierarchical. I begin to see it on every page of Scripture. I'm like, no way. That is amazing. And so God and his plans are hierarchical. And I really do believe that they appear on every page. So let's start with a definition. What, what does hierarchical mean? It's a system or organization in which people or groups are ranked above the other according to status or authority. Someone is ranked above someone else and they're under authority. And that is the perfect definition for what we're going to look at today because we see this hierarchical plan in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And by the way, we see it today. So I want us to look at that. So let's start all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. And so you go to Genesis 12 through Genesis 50, and you see kind of the first picture, this hierarchical plan, and it's the patriarchs. So you see this familial hierarchy of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... So you see these leaders over different families, and they are in, uh, in leadership roles with their families, the people of God who are coming up under them. And we even see Jacob's name changed to, um, you know, to, uh, to Israel. And so then he has 12 sons, and then we have the 12 tribes of Israel, and then each one of those tribes has a leader, and then each one of those leaders puts in place a hierarchical, familial leadership team for each of the tribes. So very clear, we see a hierarchical plan in the, in the patriarchs. We also see it in prophets. So, in, depending on who you read um, about how many prophets there are in the Bible, some say 23, some say 40, some say 68, some say 88. I'm not quite sure what the number is. Most of the conservative theologians would say there's probably 40. And most would say, who is the leading prophet in all the Scripture? Most would say Moses. So Moses was a prophet. He was a leader. He was a teacher. God spoke directly to Moses, and Moses carried out under the authority of the Father. He carried that out with the nation of Israel up under his tutelage. Now, he puts Aaron, his brother, in place as the high priest. So Aaron would be known as a priestly prophet, 
Now his sons were not prophets, but they were a part of the hierarchical system of the day. Moses, Aaron, Aaron's sons, who were all priests, carrying out priestly duties within the nation of Israel. And then we even see in Exodus 18, we see Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, even expand the hierarchical system because Moses was being overrun with both um, cases of you know, of law, both civil and criminal. So literally, he was judging all the nation of Israel, and it was wearing him out. And Jethro comes to him and says, no, 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 Moses, man, get you some godly guys. Take the people and put them in groups of 1,150 and 10. Do y'all remember that? So Moses literally, under the leadership of his father-in-law, puts even a deeper hierarchical system in place. Then we move into the judges, where there are 13 judges that lead the nation of Israel for 410 years. They roll right out of the judges into the kings, where we see three kings who rule. That would be Saul, David, and Solomon. They have advisors under them. They have army generals under them. They have armies under them. A hierarchical system. Are you beginning to see that our God is a hierarchical God? Are you beginning to see a pattern as we walk through the Old Testament? And yet you're going, well, hang on a second. What about the New Testament? Well, let's talk about the transitional prophet. So who was the transitional prophet? Who was the last prophet between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Also called the forerunner. So that would be John the Baptist. You go like, wait a minute, he was a Nazarite. He came out of the wilderness. Surely he doesn't have anybody under his authority. Yes, he did. They were called disciples. As a matter of fact, we know for sure two of those disciples by name, and that would be Philip and Andrew, who left from being a disciple of John to become a disciple of Jesus. We even see inside of Judaism a hierarchy with the high priest, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the scribes. Hierarchy is everywhere in the Scripture. As a matter of fact, I'm even going to go down kind of a little bit of a dangerous road here to say I believe there's hierarchy even in the midst of the Trinity. Now you're saying, hang on a second, David. That's one God, three persons, right? That's correct. But I'm also saying inside that, there is even a hierarchy. How did Pastor Rick baptize today? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Scripture, the order is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 10, because I want us to look at this. Jesus talks about this all over the Scripture, but there are three verses that I want to call to your attention. John chapter 10, we're also going to turn over to 12 when we get done, and then over to 14 when we get done. So verse 29, so the Trinity, here's the Son speaking. How do we know that? Because, well, at least in my Bible, it's red letters. It's easy for me to see when Jesus is speaking. So Jesus is speaking here in verse 29. He says, My Father who has given them to me, who's the them? It's the sheep. It's his followers. My Father who has given them to me is greater than what church? 
all. He is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them, his followers, Jesus' followers, out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are what, church? One. They are one, and yet there's a hierarchy. You go like, well, David, that's one verse. Okay, flip over with me to John 12, and let's look at verse um, 20, 29. No, sorry, verse 49. Verse 49 in John 12. Also red letters, also Jesus speaking. For I have not spoken on my own, what church? Authority. I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. Look over in John 14 in verse 28. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. There is one God. They are in three persons. And yet there is a hierarchy that's in place because our God is a hierarchical God. And Jesus practiced that when he was working, when he was walking on this planet as a leader and as a follower. As he came up under the authority of God and as the disciples came up under his authority. Even inside of his own apostles, there was a hierarchy. Who was kind of the inner circle? Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John even had leadership over the other nine. We see that very clearly. There is such a pattern from page to page to page to page. Now, Jesus ascends. Praise God. He's at the right hand of the Father. Praise God. He's interceding on our behalf. I am thankful that He's doing that as our intercessor. He enters in an age that we're still living in this day that's called what? That's right. Good. The church age. You all got that right. So we entered into the church age. And so who were the early leaders in the church? So James and Peter were the early leaders of the Jewish believers or the Jewish church, or the church in Jerusalem. Paul, Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, just to name a few, early leaders of the Gentile church, the Gentile believers. There was also Silas. There was also Barnabas. There were also Epaphras. There was also Epaphroditus. There's a whole bunch of them. But who were they? They came under the leadership of Paul. What did Paul say? Follow me as I what? Follow Christ. A hierarchy that Paul puts in place that's in place to this day in this room. He writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13. He writes to Timothy and instructs Timothy for the church to be led by elders and served by deacons. And so we have that even in our church today because we're led by pastors and elders and overseers and we're served by deacons. So I wanted to spend, literally I spent 16 minutes talking to you about hierarchy because it matters. Who in the world and how do we know what to submit to and what a submission look like unless we understand who and why we're submitting? 
So now I want to sort of flip the switch. I want to move to submission. And I, I want to study this from a systematic theology standpoint. So there are a lot of definitions to systematic theology. Wayne Grudem's, I think, is stellar. He wrote a book called Systematic Theology. I don't know if any of y'all have ever read it. It's 1,400 pages. So I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, so I've read it twice. So uh, would encourage, it would encourage you to at least read it once. He gives the best definition of systematic theology. He says, systematic theology is any study that answers the question, what does the whole Bible teach us today about any given topic? So today I want us to look at submission from a systematic theology perspective. What does the whole Bible talk about submitting? We have a tendency to concentrate on one verse when it comes to submission. And it's usually Ephesians 5.22. Let me just tell you, there's a whole lot of more places in the Scripture that talks about submission. I'm going to take this, I'm going to run through these quickly because there's eight of them. I don't have a time to do a deep dive in all eight of them, but I want to give you a taste. I want to give you a 60,000 foot view. I want to challenge you to be able to go home and study this hierarchical role and also who and what we are to be submitting Two. So let's start with the Greek word for submit. It's the word hupatasso in the Greek. It means to put under. It means to arrange under. The heart of hupatasso is to relinquish your rights to someone else. Ouch. Relinquish my rights to someone else? No, no, no. Relinquish my rights, put myself under someone else's authority. That's exactly right. So I want us to look at eight things. This could easily be an eight sermon series, and I've only got one. I've got half of one. So here we go. So we're going to look at eight. So we're, first of all, to submit to God, right? We're to submit to God. As a matter of fact, if we get that one right, the other seven sort of take care of themselves. But look at what James wrote in James 4, 7. He says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So who's to be on the throne of our life? God is. Who are we to submit to? God. Why? Because He's righteous, because He's holy, because He's perfect, because He's sovereign, because He has said, you shall have no other gods before me. I am on the throne of your life. I am the one who is a jealous God. I am the one who's requiring you to come up under my authority. Because let me just tell you, God and Satan can't be on the same throne at the same time. Either God is on the throne of your life or self and Satan is on the throne of your life. They can't coexist there. That's why Jesus said you can't serve two masters. So you've got to be able to look at this and go like, no, no, I'm to submit. I'm to come up under. I'm to relinquish control of my life to the Father. And I'm to do everything I can not, as Paul talks about, to be conformed to this world where you're pressed into the mold of Satan's system. We are to submit to God. Second of all, we're to submit to our pastors. The Scripture is very clear that we're to submit to our pastors. 
The writer of Hebrews in 13, 17 says it this way, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Listen to me carefully, church. Pastor Kenneth and our other pastors, but particularly Pastor Kenneth, are going to stand before the Lord and give an account for the way he leads us as a congregation. We're not going to stand there and give an account for that. We're going to stand there and give an account for how we followed him as our leader. So understand, he, they, have um, watch over our souls. Let them do this. Y'all, church, don't miss this because I was a pastor for 20 years. It says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Church family, we need to follow our leaders in such a way that it's a joy for them to lead us. We need to stop complaining about the temperature and the color of the carpet. <laughs> Honestly, as a pastor, I got hammered by more things that were not theological than were. You know, man, I'm having to park too far away. We got to do something about that. Really? We got people that are dying and going to hell and we're worried about our parking place? I mean, the truth of the matter is we need to do everything we can to follow our leaders who are going to give an account for the way they lead us. And we need to follow them in a way that brings them joy to carry out the call of God that has been placed on them. Number three is government officials. We're to submit to government officials. The Scripture says, Paul in Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority... For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, pay attention, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those resist will incur judgments. You want to know who's put every leader in their place of leadership in the government around the world? God has. Now, let me just say, from a guy who's doing ministry in countries that are killing people for the gospel, I'm going like, God, why did you do that? God, I don't understand that. The truth of the matter is, I don't have to understand that. The truth of the matter is, that's above my pay grade. The truth of the matter is, this is what the Word of God says. And I was on the beach. Listening last week, and Pastor Kenneth said, everything comes up under the Word. We go back everything to the Word. The Word says, God put Joe Biden in the White House. I've heard people say, Joe Biden's not my president. Really? I've heard people say, Donald Trump is not my president, or Barack Obama is not my president. You better be careful with those words. Because understand, God has put those leaders in place. And we are to come up under, we're to submit to the laws and the lawmakers of our land. Why? Because God's Word says so. We're also to submit to our elders. And man, I'm getting more and more elderly by the day. I remember the day not too far off where I didn't have any thinning spot in the back and I didn't have any gray hair, but I do today. But I love this. It says, likewise, you who are younger. So those of you who can define yourself as younger. (laughs) For those of you who are younger, 
Be subject to the elders. Let, let me just say, one of the joys of my life is to get to pour into guys who are younger than me. Every one o'clock, on Friday afternoons at one o'clock every week, I have a 30-minute call with a 37-year-old African-American brother in Atlanta. Uh, His name is Marcus Robinson. I love me some Marcus Robinson. We talk every week. It is amazing. I I get to be a part of a small group on Friday mornings that I'm in town at 6.30 at Lickin' Good Donuts. How how does it get any better than that, y'all? I mean, seriously. And all the guys in my group are younger than me, which is not hard because now it gets like every time I walk into a room, I'm the oldest guy in the room. On our team at Dulos, our CFO is 38, uh, one who's over all of our communications. Uh, Elena's 29, and we got two development guys. We had a guy in, uh, in Nashville and a guy in Atlanta. One's 32, one's 35. We have a junior board that the average age of our junior board is 30. Man, I love being around young guys. I love pouring into them. But guess what? I learn from them. I love learning from them. That's what it means where it says, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. A threefold cord's not easily broken. But what matters is what Peter goes on to write. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. What's he saying? Those of you who are older, don't look down your nose at those who are younger. Those of you who are younger, don't look down your nose at those who are older. Because let me tell you, I can help some of you avoid potholes. You want to know how I can do that? Because I think I hit them all. In my life, the truth of the matter is, man, we're to help one another. He says, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Then Paul goes on in Ephesians 5 and says, we're to submit to each other. So he's getting ready to launch this whole um, teaching on submission. Where does he start? He starts with verse 21, where he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What's he talking about? He's talking about mutual submission. Mutual submission across the board. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but let's talk about it in the context of marriage for right now, the family for right now. So we know we're to submit to each other, and we know that wives are to submit to their husbands because it says there in Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 22 through 23, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. That is not a dictatorial statement. There is a mutual submission Inside of marriage, how do I know that? Because I've been married 48 years. We were 12 when we got married, right? <laughs> so, so next, I mean, literally next month, October the 25th, will be 48 years for us. So what has God called me to do? God's called me to love her like Christ loved the church. God has called me to be a servant leader to her. God has called us to have a mutual submission to one another. In 48 years, I can count on one hand when we prayed through something that we came to an impasse and I had to say, you know what, babe, 
I've heard you, but this is what I believe God's leading us to do. The truth of the matter is there's a mutual submission that goes on in relationships, including especially inside the marriage relationship. We are also to submit to our parents. Paul goes on to write, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. So kids in the room, listen to me carefully. This word obey are your actions. The word honor is your attitude. World of difference between your actions and your attitude. Why do I know that? Because I knew that if I didn't get the actions part right, I was either going to be standing in the corner, having my mouth washed out with soap, or having to go to the switch bush. Anybody can relate to that in here? And the truth of the matter is, my actions sometimes were connected to what I thought thought or understood the discipline was going to be. But what Paul is saying here is, no, 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 David, your attitude should be right in the things of the Lord toward your parents and your actions should be the proof of that. And parents, listen to me. There should be also this mutual submission from parent to child as well as child to parent. Now, why do we know that? Because Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children. Now, I know I'm probably the only parent in the room that have made mistakes in parenting. But what should we do as servant leaders? What should we do as parents who are trying to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord? What should we do when we make a mistake? We go to our child. We acknowledge our mistake. We ask the Lord for forgiveness. We ask of them for forgiveness. There, it doesn't change the fact that you have, as a parent, authority over your child. But the truth of the matter is, there is a mutual submission. And there is a servant leadership. And I believe that that is the way that we train up our children into the ways they should go. There's also... That we're to submit to our bosses. <laughs> Been gone from preaching to meddling, hadn't I? So we're to submit to our bosses. Paul says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would to Christ. So we are up under the authority of our supervisor, our manager, our owner. We are up under their authority. And the scripture says that we're to work as unto the Lord. As a matter of fact, Paul goes on. I don't have this on your outline, but Paul goes on to say in verse 9 of chapter 6, Masters, do the same to them. A mutual submission where these lines of communication go back and forth. There's a mutual submission and respect in the marketplace. Wouldn't that be nice? Where we have that kind of mutual respect. So here's the important note. There's two things I want to say as I conclude. Here's the first, the important note. We should always, and I hit that word hard, we should always submit to those who have authority over us. Except, 
except when they try to lead us to act counter to Scripture. So if our pastor is leading us something to counter to Scripture, or our husband or wife is leading us something counter to Scripture, if our government is leading us to something counter from Scripture, if our company or our boss is leading us something that's counter to Scripture, the answer is no. Even if it costs me my job, we are not going to be led in something that's counter to Scripture. It is the Word of God. God is on His throne. Those nine guys have been in prison because they're willing and because they're committed and because they're submitted to everything that has to do with the Lord. So here's the impact point. When we follow, and this is so good, when we follow God's hierarchical plan, there is order. When we don't, there is failure and chaos. Just think back. Think back to the decisions that you have made in your life and I have made in my life that are outside the plan and the will and the Word of God. And how did that end for us? Not very well. The truth of the matter is, God has given us this plan for our own good and for His glory. So let's run hard after our hierarchical God and His plan. Let's submit completely to Him. Let's be willing to give it all. Y'all, this Christian life is not a game. Just since the Taliban takeover in Afghanistan, we've had 110 church planters killed. There are people who are dying for the gospel. And quite frankly, I think sometimes we're more interested in where we're going to have lunch than our lost neighbor. The truth of the matter is, church family, eternity hangs in the balance. What are we going to do about that? Let's submit to the Lord. Let's follow His plan. Let's share the gospel with those who've yet to hear or believe.